practice. Some of you may be sitting in your pew today and see something different sitting in the chair in front of you. Um, we, have, we have some pew Bibles that have been put here. And if you haven't brought a Bible to church or perhaps you're using your phone, I, I want to encourage you to use the book. It's a blessed thing to learn how to use the Bible. There are some people who don't know how to use the Bible. They're not sure how many books there are in the Bible. There are 66 books in this precious book. This is a, a book that is a, a wonderful book that was written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors. And we find the truths about God in this book. And you'll find this in the probably the chair in front of you. There's been a few of these Bibles placed throughout the sanctuary. And if you don't know how to use a Bible, in the front of this Bible, I'm sure, and I didn't even look, but there's something called the table of contents. If you don't know where a book is found, and I say, let's turn to the book of Luke, you can go in this table of contents and actually turn to the page and then find the chapter. And so the next few services, I'm going to be encouraging people who maybe if you don't have your Bible or don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to get one, see me, see one of our church secretaries. We would be happy to provide a Bible to you. The Bible says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You need God's word to guide your life and it'll help you. Uh, So we're going to be in that pew Bible if you have that Bible. Now listen, if you didn't bring that pew Bible or you're not using that, don't listen to this. But we're on page 1,443 of your pew Bible. If you don't have a pew Bible, then turn to Luke chapter number 7. Luke chapter number 7. I believe that there is a blessing to the Word of God. Amen? Now if you're a Bible believer, that should be something that you believe. And if you believe something that I say, it's okay to say amen. Amen. You know, one thing you you say, well, I don't want to interrupt the preacher. Don't you know that you can't interrupt a God-called preacher by saying amen? Amen. If you think you can, just try it. (laughs) All right, let's, Luke chapter number 7. You can remain seated for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter number 7, we're going to begin reading in verse number 36. Last week, we talked about a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, and she found her way all the way to Jesus to touch the hem of his garment, and the Lord told her that her faith had made her whole. Today, in Luke chapter number 7, we see a woman that had a different problem, and Jesus said something very similar. Last week's message is what saving faith looks like. We're going to continue on with that today. Luke chapter 7, we'll begin reading in verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner." We'll stop our reading right there this morning, and we'll get into the rest of this. But the message this morning is going to be dealing with what saving faith looks like. And another another topic or title could be, A Pharisee in the House and a Sinner in the City. 
Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Our Father, we pray that you'd oversee this service, that you'd help, Lord, as I preach your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd protect me from saying things that I oughtn't to say, and that, Lord, you would speak to the hearts of those that are here today. Let us see you for who you are. We pray and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If we could turn this microphone down just a little bit, I'm getting some feedback up here. The Bible is very clear about who Jesus was. Jesus was a friend to sinners. Jesus was often criticized for eating with sinners, but Jesus didn't just eat with sinners. He also ate with people who the Bible thought they didn't have any sin. That was the situation with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a very religious sect of the Jewish people. They believed that they were better than other men. They believed they were more religious than Jesus. They judged Jesus. They chased him around the Judean countryside in order to criticize him, to trick him. They had people set up with questions that was supposed to uh, trip Jesus up. And the Lord had much to say to the Pharisees. But I'm thankful today that the Lord is willing to meet with anyone. He'll meet with you if you're a sinner. He'll meet with you if you are religious. He'll meet with you if you're rich. He'll meet with you if you're poor. He'll meet with you if you're white or you're black. He'll meet with you if you're Asian or Mexican. He'll meet with you no matter what your background is. Our Jesus meets with everybody. everybody, And all the foot of the cross is level. Nobody has an advantage because of the color of their skin, their social status, the country that they were born in. No one has an advantage with Christ. He loves everyone and wants everyone to come to him. And so in Luke chapter number 7, We know here that in verse number 36, and it is an oddity, that one of the Pharisees would openly meet and eat with the Lord. We know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, and he met with Jesus in John chapter number 3. And he met with Jesus by night because he didn't want anybody knowing he was meeting with Christ. There were secret disciples. Joseph of Arimathea, for a time, was a secret disciple as Nicodemus. I believe their faith came out over time. But what I could say to you today, friend, is that it is kind of strange that a Pharisee would ask Christ to come into his house and to eat with him. Now, if, you, if you're in Luke chapter, I believe in Luke chapter number 10, is where Zacchaeus came and he was a publican he was a tax collector and he ran up into a tree and Jesus told Jesus told Zacchaeus to come on down from that tree because he was going to go to his house that day hey listen we serve a a, a God who understands the value in eating you know as Baptists we say if we're not if we're not eating we're not meeting You know, I I enjoy food. Jesus enjoyed food. The resurrected Jesus enjoyed food. The resurrected Jesus prepared fish for those who were his disciples. And they sat there eating fish. And I, I can only imagine how that the disciples felt so humbled to have received a plate that was prepared by the Lord. I have no doubt that was probably the best fish that they ever had. Because the best cook that there ever was was the creator of those fish. Now some of you get more out of this preaching about food than others, and that's okay. 
If you come alongside those of us who are spiritual, it will be fine for you to say amen during the service. But the Lord did a lot of things when he was sitting down to eat with people. And by the way, sitting down to eat with people is how you get to know them. Some of you would do well if you ever were to invite a neighbor to come to church and say, hey, would you come to my house afterwards for a meal? Inviting somebody over for a meal or out to eat for a meal, when you sit around a table, you learn things about them that otherwise you'd never be able to learn. You learn about your family around the table. Sitting down to a family dinner is actually very good. It's important. It's important for people to get to know each other. And so Jesus sat down to meet, to, to meet with this Pharisee. And we see this story unfold before our eyes. The Bible says in verse number 37 that a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And she found the Lord. So she heard that Christ was going to be eating food there at this Pharisee's house. She was an uninvited guest. And she came into the house having this precious box of ointment. The Bible says very plainly here that in verse 38, that she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet. Now there was nothing immoral about what was going on here. This woman was not making an advance at the Lord. Years ago, I got a chance to visit at the White House, right across from the East Lawn. It was a great privilege for me to meet there. I was with the Vice President at the time, his staff, on Wednesday afternoon at 12 noon. They did a Bible study. So we had opened up the Bible there around the, the, the table. There was a, a large conference room table and uh, a man from the vice president's staff was leading this Bible study and several Baptist preachers, including myself, were sitting around this table and they read this story. And there were people there who never, never read the Bible, were unaware of this story completely. And this man was asking questions for us preachers to, to, to answer. And this one lady, I'll never forget it, she just, she could not get over the fact that someone would touch a man's feet with her hair. She could not get over, I just, she, she, she audibly said it. She said, I can't understand how someone would touch someone else's feet with her hair. And sometimes we who are familiar with the story get over these kind of things. This was actually a beautiful thing that took place here. It was received by the Lord. It was judged by the Pharisee. Obviously, something brought this woman to the Lord. As you consider what Christ said in the story later, you'll understand what brought her to the Lord. But what we do know in verse 38 is that she stood behind Christ. She was at his feet. She was weeping. Her tears were falling on his feet. She was wiping the tears, probably washing his feet with her hair. And then the Bible even says that she kissed his feet and anointed his feet with this ointment. Now this kind of a sacrifice was something that was judged by the Pharisees. 
And many times, even Judas Iscariot during a different situation, I believe that there were multiple times where someone washed the feet of the Lord took place during his earthly ministry. At one point in time, Judas saw an act like this taking place, and the Bible says he judged it because the sacrifice of the alabaster box was such a hefty price. This was a waste. It was a waste to give that kind of a sacrifice to the Lord, and the Lord rebuked that. The only reason that Judas was judging that is because his hand was in the bag. Because he was a treasurer and he was stealing from the offerings that were being given. Now the Bible says in verse number 39 that the Pharisee started having some thoughts about this. You know, when you see someone else worshiping the Lord or giving to the Lord, making a considerable sacrifice to the Lord... Perhaps if you see someone who's very emotional about something that God has done for them, sometimes thoughts come to our mind. Now, I would like to say this today, friend, that the Pharisees are certainly not someone that you should emulate your life after. I know a lot of Christians who have become Pharisaical in the way they see things and view things. You know what the Pharisees were professional at? Finding fault. They found fault. Turn your Bible over to Mark chapter number 7. Mark chapter number 7. In Mark chapter number d- number 7, the Bible says, and we're not going to stay here, it's a, it's a totally, it's, a, it's another message altogether. But the scripture says in verse number 1, then came together unto him the Pharisees, and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem, and when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. You know what the Pharisees were known for? Being critical. And I've met a lot of God's people that think that it's some kind of a spiritual gift to be critical. It is no spiritual gift to criticize everything and everyone. Now, I want you to keep in mind that the Pharisees were the ones who eventually would falsely accuse Christ and have him murdered. But they found fault with them eating bread with unwashed hands. Can I ask you this? Which is worse? Killing someone or eating something with an unwashed hand? This is why Jesus said they strain at a gnat and they swallow a camel. Listen, if you ever find yourself finding fault, and this is something that you're doing a lot. It is going to drag you down into depression. It is going to drag you away from the Lord. And it is certainly not something that the Lord wants you to do. And he's certainly not wanting you to be known by someone who is a professional at finding fault. The Pharisees also would judge the Lord. They judged the Lord based on what they thought. In other words, if Jesus didn't think the way they thought, Jesus was wrong. And I want to tell you this, whenever Jesus thinks something different from you, you're wrong. And it shows by what the Bible has to say. Now, if you reject the Bible, understand this, you're wrong. If you reject what God says, you're wrong. Now, you may have inner thoughts and say, well, I just don't think that it works like that. I don't agree with that. Then, hey, you can go ahead and stand in judgment of God's word. But I will remind you. That God's word is true and it is true altogether whether you believe it or not. The Bible was true before you believe it. 
The Bible will be true after, even if you don't believe it, after you die. The Bible, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. This book is filled with the truths from God's word. Now, what happened here in, in, with the Pharisee in verse number 39? He saw the woman, you know, washing the Lord's feet with her hair and, and, and tears and putting this ointment on her, his feet. And this is what the Pharisee said within himself. And this is why the Bible is so powerful. The Bible says that it, the word of God, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, it says, Hebrews 4 and verse 12. It says that the scripture is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, it's one of the most frightening things that men could come to that God knows the very thoughts that we have. Every thought you've ever had, every thought of lust, every thought of murder, every thought of immorality, every thought of hatred and anger, every evil thought that comes out of the heart of man that anybody has ever thought in this room, God knows about it. And this was something that was of the Lord as far as the Lord's deity. He knew what men were thinking. They didn't say it in verse number 39. The Pharisee that had invited him into his house, he spoke within himself saying, if this man, if he were a prophet in verse 39, would have known what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. He's looking at what she's doing to the Lord and saying, this, this guy's not a prophet. I want to say this, Jesus wasn't a prophet. Jesus is the Son of God. Some people of other faiths say that Jesus was a prophet. So much of a prophet that apparently he lied when he said that he was the only way. Listen, good prophets don't lie. Jesus was much more than a prophet. He was God's son. He was the son of God. He was God incarnate, God in the flesh. He was the son of man and the son of God. He was altogether perfect. He was altogether holy. He was born of a virgin with the father's blood that ran through his veins. And he was the sinless and spotless lamb of God, which John the Baptist said, taketh away the sin of the world. He's, he judged the Lord. If, the, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. There's a few things that we could say about this. I think the woman knew who she was. I don't think this woman came to the Lord and didn't understand that she was a sinner. I don't think she came to the Lord and didn't understand that she was a wretch. That she had committed great sins in her life. She didn't come to the Lord and find Him and, and give this great display of emotion and sacrifice because she didn't understand who she was. You know, before you get saved, you have to understand who you are. You are a sinner. You, you are in need of grace. You are in need of salvation. You are in need of, uh, of forgiveness. The woman knew who she was. The people around her knew who she was as well. The Pharisee knew who she was, whether it was that he had a common acquaintance with her, but there were certain things about this woman where he said, this woman is a sinner. And the people around her knew who she was. But I'd also like to say this, the Lord Jesus knew exactly who she was. 
The Lord knew who she was. And I'll say this, this, this can work on two different aspects. Number one, the Lord knowing all about you should cause you to be somewhat humble about yourself because he knows all your dirty secrets. You say, oh, no, I don't have any dirty secrets. Every human being has things that they have done or thought that need to be forgiven by the Lord. But the Lord knew who she was not so that he could judge her. The Lord knew who she was because the Bible says in John chapter 3 that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come here to condemn her. He came so that she might be saved. And you know what? She came to the right place in order to get saved. So in Luke chapter number 7, we find here that the Lord has some things to say to this Pharisee. The woman who knew, knew who she was. The people around her knew who she was. And she herself knew who she was. Notice what story here that Jesus says to this Pharisee in verse number 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. So he tells him a story. He's trying to illustrate the reason that this woman had come before him. And he gave the story about someone who had loaned out money or or borrowed money to people and then they didn't have money to repay him. One owed him $50, so to speak, and the other owed him $500. He said he forgave both debts. Who would love the borrower the most? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one that he forgave the most. So if you owed somebody $500 and they forgave the debt, you would love them more than you would if he only had forgiven you a debt of $50. And the Lord said that you rightly judge. This is a proper judgment. Now, all of us make judgments in our heart. And by the way, the Bible says to judge righteous judgment. We're supposed to be men and women of thought, of thinking. We should be able to say that's right and that's wrong. You can't raise children without making judgments. You can't teach them what's right and wrong. If one of my children went up to another one of my children and struck them in the face, I would make a judgment and say what you just did is wrong. You know why? Because it's wrong to hit somebody else. It's wrong. And so what have I done? I've made a judgment. You have to make judgments in your life. You're going to have to determine whether or not you're going to follow God's word or not. Are you going to trust God or not? Are you going to love the Lord or not? This woman had made many mistakes in her life and she found her way to the Lord. And now the Lord is talking to this Pharisee. You know, whenever the Lord does something with a sinner, he's also doing something in someone else's life as well. And when he talked to Simon here, he says in verse number 44, and he turned to the woman, so he's looking at the woman, and he's talking to Simon. You know, when people come down to get married, you know, sometimes they'll they'll come down and the, the officiator of the wedding will be giving those wedding vows. And sometimes the people who are getting married forget who they're making vows to. They're not making vows to the pastor. They're making vows to somebody they're getting married to. So when you're saying, for better or for worse, you shouldn't be looking at the officiator. You should be looking at the person that you're pledging your life to. 
in sickness and in health. In poverty and in wealth. All these things that we say when people get married. You're looking at your spouse as you're, you're hearing the words. This is what Christ was doing. She was, he was looking at her. And he was talking to Simon. So it was very powerful what was taking place here. In verse number 44, And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Now we'll stop right there. Now in a Jewish economy, when someone came into a Jewish home, often they would have a pot of water on the floor because they walked on a very dirty ground. They didn't have paved concrete the way we live in our society. They walked on dirt roads. Their feet were often extremely dirty. And so it was common for someone who invited in a guest of honor to have a servant there or uh, to have someone there to try to clean the feet of those who came into their house. And this Pharisee didn't even have the sense in his heart and in his life to give water for the feet of the Lord. So Jesus came in and he wasn't treated with the utmost respect. Here's the Son of God visiting someone's house. Listen, it's one of the greatest things that you could ever recognize is that Jesus has a seat at your table. And if Jesus comes into your house, why don't you give him some water for his feet? But the Pharisee didn't even have water to give him for his feet. And here he is judging the Lord about this woman who came and washed the Lord's feet with something much more precious than water that he could have provided in a bowl. She was washing Christ's feet with her tears. And he said, I entered into your house in verse 44, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. He said, thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. This was not an unholy kiss. Have you ever kissed somebody who was a part of your family, a son or a daughter, and you put a kiss on their forehead? Not an immoral kiss, but something to establish the fact that you were putting a blessing on them. I remember dropping my son off one time, my oldest son, and I dropped him off. I wouldn't see him for some time. And I remember kissing his forehead. It was a kiss of affection. It was my blessing on him. It was my trust in the Lord that God would help him. Hey, listen, there are some times when when you're talking about a kiss, it's not a moral thing. It's something where you're establishing that there's a care and a concern for someone else. This woman was showing her love for Christ by not kissing his face, but she kissed his feet. She was saying, thank you, Lord, for your feet. The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. We have missionaries in the house today. Brother Bruce is going to be traveling here soon to go on another missions trip. The Bible says that his feet are beautiful. Say, what's beautiful about feet? They're beautiful when they carry the gospel of peace, friend. I went to Peru those years ago, and I'll never forget how a little short guy with a wrinkled face grabbed a hold of me. I was a supporting church for the missionary who was there, and 
He came up to me and grabbed me by the arms and he looked at me and he, he hugged me and then he grabbed me again and just looked me in the eye and I didn't speak his language and I couldn't understand anything he said, but his eyes told me, thank you for sending me someone to preach the gospel to me. Thank God for the feet of those who preach the gospel. Thank God for those who give so that those can preach the gospel. She saw the Lord's feet. You know, those feet that she kissed were the feet that were going to receive the nails that would hang him on the cross. Those feet were pierced for us. The Bible says in the book of Genesis in the third chapter that Satan would bruise his heel. That was a prophecy about the Lord being crucified. It was a very painful thing, but all I can say to you today, friend, is this woman, when she was kissing the Lord's feet, was expressing her love for the Lord coming there for her. He said, you didn't kiss me, Simon. You didn't have any love for me, Simon. There's some people, no doubt, here today that could probably identify with Simon. There's no love in your heart for the Lord Jesus. If he came into your heart, or came into your house, there would be no special things given to the Lord. You wouldn't treat him any different than you treated anyone else. But I want to tell you something. When the Lord comes in, he deserves a kiss. When the Lord comes in, He deserves some tears. Now I understand that when someone gets saved at a young age and they don't live a life that someone who's a sinner in the city has lived, there's not going to be an emotional outpouring all the time at the moment of salvation. Notice what else we say. We'll get into that in just a moment. In verse number 46, the Bible says, My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? I'll tell you who he is. His name is Jesus Christ, and he still has the same authority today as he did there. The only person that can forgive your sins is the Lord Jesus. Now the scripture says in verse number 50, again, very similar to what he said to the woman that touched the hem of his garment. He said, thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. Now this wasn't a physical problem like last week's. Last week a woman had an issue of blood and she came to the Lord for physical healing. This was a woman who was a sinner in the city and she found her way to the Lord in the midst of people who would judge her and she found all the way, herself all the way to the Lord. I want to say these things in closing today. Here is what saving faith looks like. And then we'll also make some other applications in just a moment. Please listen close. Number one, saving faith is humble. Some people could recognize that they've never been saved a day in their life because they've never, ever been humble. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the lowly. No proud person who comes to the Lord in pride, who doesn't believe that they need to be saved, will ever be saved. You have to be humble in order to get to the Lord. 
This woman's faith looked humble. How humble did it look? She walked in. She bowed down. She got before the feet of the Lord. Now I could say this. Some people today, it would be nearly impossible for you to, to as, a, as a posture, get down at the feet of the Lord. You're not physically able to do that. But it's not the posture of your body that is most important. It is the posture of your heart. And the posture of the heart of a saved person is a humble posture. We know that we didn't deserve anything from the Lord. This woman didn't come to the Lord in time. She didn't feel like, look at all the bad things that have happened to me in my life and, and, and disgruntled about this and disgruntled about that. All she knew was that the Lord had come and she wanted to present herself to Him. She was humble. Saving faith is humble. Saving faith is genuine with no pretense. Her faith was genuine. Her faith cost her, you know, she had to prepare. She had to bring something with her. You know, sometimes it's good for you to bring something with you when you're going to see somebody who's done something very good for you. It's good to bring something with you. She brought that alabaster box. This was a precious ointment. That ointment, when it was used on the feet of the Lord, no doubt that aroma filled the house. This was a great sacrifice. It was a genuine gift to the Lord, and it was a gift made by love. I think the Lord establishes that. Saving faith is genuine. Saving faith, there's true love there. She had a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. There could be somebody here today and you have no love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people will fight against the Lord and fight against the Lord. In one breath they'll say, I love Jesus. And in the other breath they're saying, I could care less what the Bible says. I'm doing my own thing. You don't love the Lord. You don't love the Lord while you take His book and burn the Scripture. You don't love the Lord when you don't love His people. The Bible says, and we know that we've passed from death to life. For what? Because we have love for the brethren. Something will be put inside of your heart. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes people make it hard to love them. You ever met somebody like that? You love them, but they're hard to love. Some of you men, you ought to be thankful. You're hard to love. Not me. Some of you ladies. Sometimes you make it hard to love. I want to say this today, friend. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a softness in your heart for the Lord. He was your friend. He went all the way to Calvary for you. The scripture points out here that saving faith takes courage. You know, here in our church, we have what we call an invitation, and we invite people to come. Now, you don't have to get saved during an invitation. There's no particular place that you have to get saved. I've known people that were saved on the back of a tractor. I personally was saved at an altar in in a Baptist church in Michigan. I've met people who were saved on their bedside with their mothers. I've met people who got saved in jail. What matters about getting saved is that you do get saved. It's not the place where you're at. Some people have it in their mind. Well, if I ever get saved, I must go forward to the altar. We have an invitation. And it is good to respond during the invitation if the Lord knocks on your heart's door. But saving faith takes courage. She walked to Jesus in the midst of this Pharisee's house. And those men looked at her with disdain. They weren't having any righteous thoughts. They said, if the Lord knew who she was... He wouldn't be letting her touch him. And I've got news for you. The Lord knew exactly who she was, and he let her touch him. Because that's who Jesus is. 
But saving faith, what it looks like is it takes courage. Saving faith ignores the judgment of others. Perhaps one of the most preeminent thoughts in my mind and in my heart the day I got saved was what will other people think of me and I had to get over it. You can't get saved when the primary thought in your mind is what other people will think of you. You can only get saved when the only person that you care about what they think about you is what God thinks of you, what Jesus Christ thinks of you. That is what is most important. You're not going to stand at the judgment with mom or dad. You're not going to stand there with your husband or your wife. You're going to stand there all alone and you're going to give an account to God for yourself. Did you believe on Jesus Christ? Did you love the Lord Jesus Christ? The scripture says this, when much is forgiven, saving faith can produce strong emotions. <laughs> Have you ever met somebody that just couldn't hold it in? Somebody was preaching about salvation and somebody just, they were holding themselves down, they were trying to be pious, they were trying to hold it together and they just, whoa, they just let it out. <laughs> I want to tell you something, salvation's wor uh, worth giving a whoo about. <laughs> salvation's worth getting excited about. Salvation sometimes causes us to, to, to cry. You know, this morning, I'm, I'm not sure how many tears we saw. Sometimes we need to cry during the song service because the people next to us sing happy birthday like Daniel Flores. I saw a video this week and I was like, my goodness, now I know why Daniel's not the song leader. <laughs> it's like we have a song service and the spirit flies. Now, 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 folks, that's a joke. Come on. That was a good joke. I just ran a long rabbit trail, but I want to tell you something. We sang a song this morning called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross on Which the Prince of Glory Died. My richest gain I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. Now, I want you to see this now. See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? When you consider the words of that song... That was our Savior who went through all of that. Sometimes in church you'll see people crying in the middle of a service. I remember hearing a preacher, he was telling me I was preaching in service and there was a man over in the fifth row on the left side and, and he wept to the entire preaching. You know why that man was weeping? Because he felt so humbled that the Lord would save his soul. When's the last time you, you gave a tear to the Lord or a tear came to your face because of what God did for you? I'm here to tell you, friend, that if you let the truths of salvation hit your heart, it won't be too long before you're crying because some of you should be crying because of how much sin God forgave in your life. Maybe you've forgotten what manner of man or what manner of woman you were without the Lord. There could be somebody here today and you're not even saved. I want to hear to tell you something. The Lord loves you just like he loved this woman who was a sinner in the city. He'll save you. Her sins were many. He say, my sins are many. The Lord's willing to forgive you just like he's willing to forgive her. And many times strong emotions come when there was a lot of things that were forgiven. Listen, none of us are worthy of the Lord's love. God chose to love us and he sent his son to this, this sin-cursed world touched by sin, touched by failures. Touched by men who are hateful. 
You read Psalm chapter number 22. Flip your Bible back to Psalm chapter number 22, and we'll close with this. I already said that I would close with the next few thoughts. And they say, normally, what does it mean when a Baptist preacher says in closing, absolutely nothing? (laughs) Psalm 22. The words that Christ called out from the cross in verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? These were the thoughts that were going through the mind of the Savior as he was being crucified and as he was hung up before mankind. Notice what he says in verse number 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Verse 12. Many bulls have compassed me. He's not talking about an actual bull. He's talking about people who were acting like a bull. You know what a bull can do when he throws a man from his back? He gore him, throw him around. This is how men were treating our Christ. He chose to come here. He chose because he called us his friend. Notice in verse number 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I want to remind you that before crucifixion 8 came even into the depraved heart of man, the scripture was predicting that someone's feet and their hands would be pierced. This is another prophetic miracle of God's word. No one by the time David penned this had even known of crucifixion. But yet the Lord says they pierced my hands and my feet because this was a glorious prediction of what would take place with our Savior. And all I'm here to say is this. Jesus chose to come here. When's the last time you shed a tear for how much you loved Him for what He did for you? He was rich and He became poor for us. What could the Lord ask us that would be too much? He went all the way to Calvary for us. There's so many things that we could point out in Psalm 22. I mean, if you look at verse number 17, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them, and they cast lots upon my vesture. All of this was prophetic utterances about what would take place with Christ on Calvary. And I want to ask you a question today, friend. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? When's the last time you found the Lord in a house and made your way all the way down to Him with an alabaster box? This is something for you, Lord. This is something I want to do for you. May all of us have a similar love than this woman who found her way to the Lord. And the Lord said, that kind of faith saves you. That kind of faith is what produces the forgiveness of sins. That's what faith looks like. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We're going to have a verse of invitation in just a moment. And it could be that someone's here in church today, and it's been a while since you've bowed the knee before the Lord, Christian friend. You know, if you're able and God's worked in your heart and in your life, maybe it is that you need to come to the altar and say, Lord, thank you for what you did for me. This woman who probably didn't have all of her doctrine straight, found her way all the way to the Lord and wept before His feet. 
Are you thankful for what God has done for you by way of salvation? When's the last time you've expressed that to the Lord? Thank you, Lord, for what you did for me. He didn't have to do that. You know, when Christians begin to worship, God begins to work in the hearts and lives of the lost. Sometimes we have it all wrong. God will start working when the lost get saved. The lost get saved when saved people start acting like it. And when there's genuine love for the Lord, there should be an expression of love to the Lord. There could be somebody here today and you've never been saved. You've never trusted the Lord as your Savior. I want to invite you to come. As Brother John sings this song, won't you come? Won't you come today? Won't you let God work in your heart and your life? Make your heart tender again. You've walked away from the Lord, Christian. Now is a good time to get right with Him. If you're lost today, be saved. somebody here today and you're not responding to the Lord, be good for your heart to respond to the Lord with love.
verses and then what comes will close as we sing. It's okay. And all the saints of God said, Amen. Thank you for being here today at the Metropolitan Baptist Church. We pray that you've received a blessing from being here. Tonight we'll be having services at 6 p.m. If you can be back tonight, we'll invite you to come back. I hope and pray that you can be. And uh, we're very thankful that uh, you've chosen to come today. And uh, we, we certainly pray that you'll be back with us. If you're visiting, uh, back with us soon. And may God put a blessing upon the preaching and reading of his word today and all the songs that we sang. Are you happy to be in the Lord's house? Amen. Amen. We're going to go ahead and bow for a word of dismissal prayer. I'm going to ask Brother C.R. Dominey to word the prayer to close the service, please.